welcome to a recording of a short Bible-based talk from Hope Church Worcester. If you're in the area and you'd like to visit us, we would love to see you. We meet in our building called the Granary, which is located in the centre of Worcester. For those of you who haven't been following or you're a visitor, first-time guest with us, we're going through John's Gospel. That's the fourth gospel in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is our third sermon going through it. And I always start with this while we're going through it. But uh, we're still in chapter one. But that's because there's so much massive, mind-bending truth and goodness in chapter one that I just had to break it down a little bit into some verses. But as we go along, trust me, we will go through it more chapter to chapter, more story to story. So we won't be in it for like several years, don't worry. Um, so let's go ahead and do that. Just tidying up my wires here. Lovely. Well, like I said, we're looking at John. This is the third message this morning. And what I want to look at is Jesus's humanity. If I was to give this series a title, it would be John's Gospel, and the subtitle would be Jesus is dot, dot, dot. And this morning, we're going to be looking at how Jesus is human. Jesus is human. Now, when you listen to someone like me, you will more often than not get a slew of superhero references and illustrations. And it's no different this morning. I try and balance it out a little bit. But uh, I don't know if you've noticed, perhaps more with the younger generation, we would have noticed a little bit more than the older generation. But there's been a slew of superhero films in the last 20 years. Some of the most recent being names some of us may recognise from decades and decades ago, have actually been around since the 20s, 30s, 40s, etc. Superheroes such as Spider-Man, whose latest film, Spider-Man No Way Home, came out last year and it is, bought it on Blu-ray, excellent, amazing, recommend it. Or another one, Batman, whose latest film again came out this year, The Batman. A little bit darker, but still bought it on Blu-ray and still recommend it. Um, but not only are, these, are there films about superheroes, which I think most people would associate the superhero genre with, they think of Marvel films or DC films. But you know, there's also TV shows, there's graphic novels, of which I've dabbled in recently, even though I'm a 32-year-old man, I've dabbled in those again, because they're very interesting. Video games, there's theme parks, there's types of food and cutlery, it's just splattered everywhere, you know, superhero marketing. You can't really escape it in our day and age. There's clothing as well. But our catalogue of superheroes isn't actually a modern phenomenon, although the spandex is definitely relevant to the 20th century. That's a new thing. I think before us, that wasn't really a thing. But heroes and their stories have circulated throughout all of history. Think of the Greek demigods, the classic example, Hercules. Think of King Leonidas back in the Spartan times with his 300 soldiers who went to battle with the Persians. If you've seen the film 300, or if you've read the novel about that, or if you just know the history about it. Or think of Robin Hood 
and his band of merry men, all people who we would look back on as being somewhat heroic, of rising above their normal station or stature as a person in life and doing something heroic for the benefit of other people. We can all think of people either fact either fictional from mythology or factual from history, who seemed to transcend the normal human capability, was stronger perhaps, was smarter, who appeared godlike or superhuman in some capacity. Well, like it all lumber, especially for us adults, not so much for the kids, at the end of the day, every person is just a human. There is no such thing as a superhero. There's no such thing as what we would see on the television or read in magazines, etc. We're all human. And as we've seen in, pre in the previous message, there is also only one God, one superhuman, one person par excellence, the best of the best. The word, his name is Christ Jesus, our Lord. However, today, I'd like to turn our attention to the other side of the coin. We've read and we believe, hopefully, I trust as a church, that Jesus is fully God. But now let's read and also believe that Jesus is fully human as well. Two sides of the same coin, two realities, absolutely mysterious and mind-bending, but equally true and real, fully God and fully man. So John is continuing to unpack big truths, as I've said, in just the opening sentences of his letter. And before he really begins recounting the story of Jesus, which he's getting to, he's building to it in his, in his letter, he concludes his theological explosion with the biggest mind bender of all. Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully human, like you and I, dare I say. He was just like you and I. So let's read then chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, the Baptist, his cousin, bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For as the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but Jesus has made him known. What I'd love to do this morning is just look at four things. Just journey with me at looking at four things this morning briefly. Firstly, the importance of Jesus's humanity and just a few persuasions from scripture proving that reality. Secondly, I think it's helpful to look at some untrue and unhelpful views about Jesus's humanity, things we wouldn't consider to be accurate. 
Thirdly, some benefits of Jesus' humanity. Why does it matter that we believe and love the fact that our Jesus is a human like me and you? And then fourthly, lastly, what we do with Jesus' humanity. What do I do with it? How does that apply to my life? So four things. Now, firstly, the importance of Jesus' humanity and some persuasions from God's holy word that we trust is reliable and trustworthy. In the context of a Sunday sermon, we wouldn't have the time, nor would it be appropriate uh, for, for, to try and unpack just how massively, incredibly, mind-blowingly impacting the truth and reality is that Jesus is fully human, is a real person, that God took on genuine flesh, that the divine embraced human nature that's just like mine and yours, but without sin. That was the only difference, without sin. But trust me, it is a big deal. It's a big, massive deal. To briefly express just how big a deal it is, Scripture says that those who don't or won't believe it, and unfortunately, and it is a sad thing, it's not said in, in jest or anything like that, but those who don't or won't believe it aren't saved. It's the hinge of a person's salvation. It's, the, it's one of the key foundations and pillars of if we know a person, if we know we are truly saved by our Jesus, that we believe he's God come in the flesh. He's God come as a man to us. John actually goes even further in his letters, which maybe we'll look at in the future, first, second, and third John. He wrote to a bunch of churches that got circulated to them. He said that anyone who even rejects the reality that Jesus is a full man is antichrist. Now, he's not saying he's this monstrous antichrist that's coming at the end of the world. If you read those left behind book nonsense, don't know if it's rude to say that, sorry, I think it's nonsense, um, but anything like that. What he's saying is someone who doesn't believe that is against Jesus because Jesus came as a human being to relate to me and to relate to you. And someone who doesn't believe that is against Jesus, is rejecting all the beautiful things Jesus came to do in our lives and to save us from. So John has a serious problem with that, which is why he wants to share the truth, which is what he's writing about here. So he's emphasizing that it's sober, serious stuff that we've got to wrestle with if we don't quite believe it, or if we do, to hold fast to, to remember that our Jesus is not only God amazing, but he's human, he's like me in every single way except for sin. But for now then, for us, let's know this. Jesus is human, as I've said, and I'll say it multiple times this morning. Jesus is like you and he's like me. Let's read verse 14 again. And the words, that's Jesus, another title for Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. In his humanity, Jesus brought full grace and full truth to us because he related to us and he was like us. Jesus became a human being. God himself put on human flesh and dwelt among us. He lived like one of us. Let me just make a few observations here from scripture just to help us because as Christians, at least in this church, we believe that, thank you sir, 
that the Bible is true. It's inspired by God the Holy Spirit. It's the foundation of our entire lives. It is everything. We love our Bibles because God speaks to us through it. God works in us through it. And so we believe what it's saying. And so elsewhere in scripture, it's telling us Jesus is human. And just a few things just to look out here. So first of all, Jesus ate. If I just go to Mark's gospel, he says this. And as he, Jesus, reclined at table, that's their way of saying, as Jesus had dinner with his friends, in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus ate food because... He was a human being. He needed food to stay alive, just like we do. He drank. Let's have a look. John chapter 4. There you are. Jacob's well was there at the place where Jesus was journeying to. So Jesus, wearied, tired, like a human, as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Not rudely, that's just the way they spoke in those days. Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food because they were hungry. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, because they didn't get along, Jews and Samaritans, uh, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. So Jesus ate, Jesus drank. Another thing here, Jesus slept. Let's have a look what this scripture says back in Mark. Jesus slept. Hmm, where are you? There you are. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowds, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're about to die? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. He needed sleep because he would have been grouchy the next morning to continue his ministry because he was a human. Jesus ate, Jesus drank, Jesus slept, he needed clothes. Something else here, John, there's not many of these, don't worry, but I just wanted to stress the point that scripture shows us all these things. Jesus wept and he grieved as well. Now, when Mary, a friend of Jesus, came to Jesus, uh, sorry, came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then just two words, one sentence, Jesus wept. Jesus cried because he experienced the grief of a friend who passed away, the friend being Lazarus, if you remember the story. 
I won't go on to any more, but I'll just say that, trust me, scripture also says that he got angry, he got scared, and he got tempted as well. He had real emotions and a genuine human experience that we all go through, but again, without sin. The very glory of God in all its totality walked and talked and lived as a person in that time over 2,000 years ago. Like me and like you, he dwelt among us. Now, I'm going to use a word here that some of us may know. Incarnation is what that's called. Jesus' incarnation. Now, just a little bit of language, bear with me briefly. In, in the Greek, E-N, as we interpret it, and E and N, it's obviously different letters in the Greek, just meant in, or to come upon. When it was added to a word, called a prefix, if any of you language people, when you add a couple of words or a word uh, to, a, to an already existing one, it's called a prefix, and it changes it a little bit. So when you add N, if you were a Greek, if you added that to a word, you were saying that something was going into something, or that thing was having something put upon it. So that's N, and then the second word, carnation, not like the flowers, but from carne, means skin. It means flesh and blood. It means muscle and ligaments. Think of chili con carne is what I always remember. Okay, chili con carne, it's meat you're eating. So in carne, all that John was saying was, Jesus was in flesh. Jesus put on skin. Jesus, as we've seen, is fully God. So he was all the way at the beginning of creation. He was with what we call the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, before the universe even began, loving each other, enjoying each other. But then there came a time in human history when he put on flesh, when he came to dwell among us, to move into the neighborhood, the message version says. Jesus moved into the neighborhood of our existence. So, next thing to say then, to help us with this, some Secondly, some untrue and unhelpful views on Jesus's humanity. Now, as well as knowing what's true and helpful, it's also good to know what's untrue and unhelpful, just so that we're wise. Jesus said, be wise as serpents, but be as gentle as doves, right? Be gentle with your, with your wisdom. So just the following are some beliefs we wouldn't consider an accurate reflection of what scripture says about Jesus's humanity and can really muddy the water. And if you drink muddy water, that's not good for your health. And it's the same about things we believe. If we believe muddy things, it's not good for this. It's not good for the soul. So three isms, any note takers, three isms. Now, don't have to remember these, but just for our help and our benefit. Something called adoptionism adoptionism. That's the belief that Jesus was just a normal, sinless, average Joe human being, separate from God, but that God adopted him at his baptism. Remember when Jesus got baptized, the son, the father spoke to him, the spirit descended upon him. This view says that that was the moment when God said, I like him, he's a pretty good guy, I'm going to adopt him and make him divine, which doesn't quite work, and I'll say why in a minute. 
So he, went, he had his baptism, he overcame his temptations, so he proved himself to God. He beat the devil, he overcame them, and he showed himself as worthy to be the son of God, is what these views would say. But the problems here, just three problems here, it rejects Jesus's eternalness. Jesus is a man, but he's God, and he's forever existed and he will forever exist in the future. Jesus is the word of God, and God's word will always exist. He's the Father, Son, and Spirit, alive, always has been, all the way in the past before creation, and will be forever and always in the future as well. So it gets rid of that. It says that Jesus was just a thing that was created, and, he, and then that was it just like any other human. Secondly, it denies his miraculous virgin birth and the Spirit's work in that. Scripture says that Jesus was born miraculously by the Virgin Mary because the Holy Spirit came over her and that helped her conceive. Well, if Jesus was just a normal man who got adopted by God, he he was a normal birth as well. He was a normal baby. And that's not helpful. That doesn't save us. And then thirdly, it removes Jesus's presence from the Old Testament and the Trinity. Jesus was around in the Old Testament. Did you know that? Jesus was around in the Old Testament. He wasn't called Jesus, though, and he didn't, re- he didn't identify himself as Jesus, but he was there. He was the image of God when God appeared to those Old Testament people. So that's adoptionism. Second one, good job, you're doing well. I like doing this because you're not stupid. You can understand things. Modalism, secondly. The belief that Jesus appeared as one form or mode, modalism, mode, of God only at one time, only at one time. So Yahweh, who's the God of the Old Testament, that was the name, that was his covenant name. That's how Israel spoke to God, Yahweh. In our Bibles, it's Lord, capital capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's actually Yahweh in the original language. He was the God of the Old Testament. Jesus was the God of the Gospels, and now the Holy Spirit is the current God. He is the God. God, Father doesn't exist at the moment. Jesus doesn't exist. It's the Holy Spirit who's God, because none of them can exist at the same time. They're just one, and there was one expression at one time, one expression at the other, and now it's the Holy Spirit who we're to worship alone. None exist at the same time. But the problems here, again, three problems. It says no to the Trinity. It doesn't believe the Trinity. There's no Father, there's no Son, and there's no Spirit. There's only one. Well, that's not true, and that's not helpful, because we need the Father, we need the Son, and we need the Spirit. One God revealed in three people at the same time. Secondly, it confuses our prayers. Who do we pray to? I don't pray to the Father. I don't pray to the Son. I just pray to the Holy Spirit. Well, Bible says that I've got the privilege of praying to the Father through Jesus, so... If it's just the Holy Spirit, then that doesn't make sense. What does that mean? And thirdly, it rejects uh, the, the prayers of our Father, our prayers of the Father, our prayers to the Father through the Son. We've got an immense privilege to pray to our Father through Jesus by the Spirit. But if that's not the case, and there's only the Spirit, then again, who am I praying to and how does it all work, etc.? And the last thing, thank you very much, well done. It's the belief that Jesus only appeared to be a human. He was a phantom, is what people would say about this. He didn't really have a genuine human nature or flesh, but made it appear as though he did. Jesus tricked people, basically, which doesn't 
quite sound right. Um, problems with this, just two. Jesus can't have empathy for us and doesn't really understand my human experience. If he's just a ghost or a phantom who made it seem like he was real, well, he didn't, he didn't feel my sadness. He didn't feel my pain. He didn't feel my suffering. He doesn't feel my issues and problems because they weren't real. How can I worship that Jesus? And secondly, is death on the cross, it was meaningless because it had no effect. No one died on the cross. It was a ghost. It was a phantom. So it doesn't matter. So just three things very quickly that just doesn't help us and is not true. Jesus was not adopted and made the son of God. Jesus was not just one mode of God and now it's just the Holy Spirit. And Jesus really appeared as a human, not a fake or a forge or a phantom of a ghost. He was really a person. Anyway, enough isms for today. But what's important is to be clear about what we believe Jesus's humanity and divinity is, that he was fully both, that he's fully God and fully man, a divine nature and a human nature in one person. So just thirdly then, the benefits of Jesus's humanity. Let's read verses 15 and 17. It said, John the Baptist, his cousin, bore witness about him, Jesus, and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John is saying that Jesus was before all of creation. Jesus is younger than John, but John knows that Jesus is before he was even born because Jesus was in the Old Testament. Jesus was before creation. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Through his incarnation, through Jesus becoming a flesh and blood human, Jesus has totally revealed the truth and the grace of God. In our second uh, message in the series, we saw how Jesus is the light which is another way of saying Jesus is the truth. He's shone the light of truth. He's revealed it. And he's revealed the truth of the Father, the kingdom, and the way that we can be saved and have a relationship with, uh, with him. But suffice to say that because Jesus became a human, he was able to reveal the truth of God, the truth that gives us life. And what a benefit that is to our humanity. Because Jesus became a human, he gave us the truth about what it means and looks like to live a purposeful, meaningful, saved life. So we benefit from Jesus being a human who showed us that. He's also revealed the grace of God. If you're saved and you know Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, you're a member of this church, it's only because of his grace that he gave us as a gift. It's only because of God's grace that we're here together enjoying him and delighting in him and living our lives for him. He extends that same grace gift to anyone here as well today who may not yet know him. If you're on a journey, if you're travailing that path with doubt, uncertainty, a lot of questions, a lot of things you don't quite understand, Jesus gives you that same extension. He, he gives you that same arm of grace and mercy and kindness and love to come and know him, to know him as a fellow human who understands what you're going through, 
so you can relate to him, but also with his other arm to know him as fully God, who is the one who can actually save you from a life that sucks and is hard and is going nowhere and will end, sadly, nowhere when we die. He gives us the opportunity to come to him and know life. Will you, whoever you are, whatever stage you're at, receive a reminder of that grace or for the first time, a yes to that grace as well? Right, lastly then, I'm just ending with this. For us who are disciples, understanding Jesus' humanity helps us have a right view of God, which is great, but that right view of God informs a right view of each other. It helps us in how we should relate to each other. How do I behave and act towards you guys and you back to me? We look at Jesus' humanity, we see what that looks like. Just two things. Knowing that Jesus is human helps us have confidence that he understands what I'm going through and what the person I'm sitting next to is going through. When I'm having church lunch this afternoon, hope you can all join us. Whoever I'm sat next to, I remember Jesus and his humanity. I remember that I need to treat this person with kindness. I need to understand and empathise what they're going through because Jesus did the same for me and for you. Although we've got different experiences from Jesus, he experienced the same emotions and feelings with you. Jesus wasn't addicted to drugs, he wasn't an alcoholic, he wasn't anything like that, but the root, the root, the temptation to go into whatever it was for his day was still the same. We still feel the same tugs as Jesus did, the same desires as Jesus did, the same temptations, the same struggles, and the same problems as he did. He's not distant, He's not cold, he's not indifferent, he's not arbitrary or hollow, but he's close, he's warm, he's caring, he's personable, and he's full of grace uh, for you. Hebrews chapter 4 says, For we don't have a great high priest, which is Jesus, who's unable to sympathise with us, but one who in every way went through what we go through, except he never sinned. My God is a God I can go to in prayer and worship and know. Jesus, you know what I'm going through. You can help me. And secondly, knowing Jesus is human and a giver of grace, we're to show the same grace to each other as well. We're a grace people, a people of undeserved kindness from God and to each other, no matter who you are. Don't like someone in this church, which is a very real reality. Do you not like someone in this church? You probably don't. Well, fine, work on that, but do so while showing mercy to them. You can be different, but that doesn't prevent you from showing grace. Is someone awkward, difficult, and uncomfortable to be around or to talk to? Fine, doesn't matter. Show them grace. Talk to them. Sit with them. Share your food with them. Say, hey, don't sit over there on the end of the row. Sit by me, even though we're different. Journey through these things with compassion and empathy with each other. Not just sympathy, but let's feel the same things with each other. We're all human. We all make mistakes. Jesus knows that. So we're commanded to extend patience and love to each other in spite of our differences and our failures. We're in this together because we're a church family. And family always has the crazy uncle, but you still love him. 
the mad aunt, you still love her, you still meet up with her for Christmas or for a coffee. It's the same here, more so with us. We love each other no matter who we are. So let's believe then that Jesus is fully God as we've looked at, but he is also fully human and has extended truth and grace to us so we can share that same truth and that same grace to your brother and sister you're sitting next to in your row. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the talk. Further information about Hope Church can be found at www.hope-church.org.uk Thank you for listening.